All right, Jim, 1 through 10. Now a man of the house of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave her to son. And she saw that he was a fine child, and she gave him three months. And when she could no longer, when she could hide him no longer, she got the papyrus baskets for him and clothed it with foreign pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it on the knees and and the Pharaoh's water came down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. And she saw that the basket on the reeds and set her slave girl together. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. And the girl went and got the baby's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I give him out of the water. Now it came about in those days, when Moses had grown up, that he went out to his brothers and looked on their hard neighbors. And he saw an Egyptian being a Hebrew, one of his brothers. So he looked his way and said, and when, I, and when he saw there was no one around, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in his face. He went out the next day, and behold, two Hebrews were fighting with each other. And he said to the offender, why are you struggling your companion? And he said, Who made you a prince or a judge over us? Are you intending to kill us as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and said, Surely the matter has become known. When Pharaoh heard of this matter, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from the presence of Pharaoh and settled in the bed of Media. And he sat down by a while. Now the priest of Media had seven daughters. And they came to draw water and fill the trough to water their father's flock. Then the shepherds came and drove them away. But Moses stood up and helped them, helped them and watered the flock. When they came to Burel, their father said, Why have you come back so soon today? So they said, And Egyptians delivered us from the hand of the shepherds. And once more, he even drew the water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughter, Where is he then? Why is it that you have left the man behind? Invite him to have something to eat. Moses was willing to dwell with the man, and he gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses. Then he, she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jericho. And he, for he said, I have been a soldier in the foreign land. How it came about in the course of those many days, that the king of Egypt died, and the son of Israel sighed because of the bondage, and they cried out, and they cried and they cried for help because of the bondage rose up to God. So God heard the gloom, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God saw the son of Israel, and God took notice of them. Great. So last week from chapter one, we uh, learned that Exodus is continuing the story of Genesis. Chapter one is advancing the narrative of Genesis while at the same time setting the stage for 
what, what's to come in the rest of Exodus. When we finish chapter 1 last Friday, what did we learn about what is going to happen by the time we get to the last chapter of Exodus? Do you remember? Do you remember? What did we already know is going to happen in Exodus by the end of the story? In Exodus. We learned that Pharaoh is going to lose, right? The most powerful man in the world, somebody viewed as, uh, as a god, treated as a god, can't even be two lowly Hebrew midwives, right? No plan or policy he tries to implement can stop the population of, uh, of growth of Israel, the, the creation mandate of being fruitful and multiplying so that the whole earth is full of his glory is going to continue to advance. And you either move out of the way or, or get run over it. And, and, and Pharaoh's going to have to le- learn that the hard way. We also learn what? We just learned that last week from chapter 1 that the challenge of Pharaoh to Israel isn't some isolated event that happened thousands of years ago. No, this book records the battle between God and Satan. This is, there, there are cosmic end-time ramifications contained in these events. What happens in Exodus is going to do what? It's going to change the world. Um, this is satanic uh, opposition that Israel is experiencing. This is a battle between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. Uh, but we know the end. in the end, um, Pharaoh is going to re- re- remain nameless. And we know from the get-go that his faithful, humble ser- servants are going to get names, like Shipra and Puah. And God is going to triumph just as he triumphed at the Tower of Babel. In chapter 2, uh, for tonight, the main point of the chapter is what? What's the main point of the, cha- of the chapter? What? <laughs> yeah, so if you read the uh, announcements, I'm just testing if you read the weekly announcement, I, I gave you the answer. Uh, the main point of the chapter is God is going to raise up a, a deliverer. Uh, every part of his early life indicates that he is going to be a deliverer of, of Israel. And when then, when Moses grows up, the text is going to show how God cultivates, how he matures, how he turns Moses to, into a deliverer of his people. Uh, next, chapter 2 is going to establish this paradigm of corporate solidarity. Uh, corporate solidarity. It's a major theological paradigm that r- runs through the Bible. And um, Moses is going to establish the connection between a deliverer and the delivered, where the one embodies the many, and the many are embodied the one. And so this idea of corporate solidarity we see in the New Testament in our own experience with the Lord Jesus, right? And and that idea is first expounded and developed in the book of Exodus. So we're going to be looking out for the theme of corporate solidarity. So maybe you guys can... You can you look, make sure you look look out for it. Um, point number one: the birth and deliverance of uh, of Pharaoh, uh, found in the first ten verses. Um, the context is what? The context is verse twenty-two of chapter one, where uh, Pharaoh issues a decree where every son is going is is uh, is supposed to be cast into the Nile. Uh, every daughter is uh, is allowed to to to, to live. And so here, Pharaoh has this audacity to think that he can stop uh, God's plan to fulfill his promise to, uh, to, to multiply the seed of Israel. He, uh, Pharaoh thinks he can stop that. He says, you know, the boys, they need to die. The daughters are, uh, are, can live. And what is Pharaoh thinking? Um, 
you know, these women, they're, they're no threat to my authority. You know, I'm, I'm afraid of, of the men growing up, but these, these little women know they're not going to stop me. And so what do you find in the first 10 verses of chapter 2? Uh, you find a group of women used by God to do what they're good at, to, to do what their culture especially honored in women. What? They, these group, a group of men, women uh, come together and they, they rescue and they raise a child, right? A pharaoh, he can't get anything done. Now, uh, the, chapter 2, verse 1 starts by mentioning the house of Levi, the house of Levi. Uh, and, and, and it's not, it's not uh, an incidental fact that Moses includes. He kind of, he makes a point of emphasis, right? There's a man, uh, Moses' father is a man from the house of Levi, and Moses' mother is also from the tribe of Levi. Now, what do you think this signifies? What does this signify? Um, Levi is what order? What birth order in the family? What birth order? Uh, what's the birth order? Like, it, what, what, what number is, is Levi? When was he born? Is he the youngest son? Is he the middle son? Is he the... <laughs> you don't sound very confident. <laughs> well, uh, chapter 1, verse uh, 2 tells us, gives you the birth order, right? Um, Reuben, Simeon, Levi. So Levi's the third born. And if you remember in Genesis, um, what, what happened to Reuben and Simeon? Sure, sure, yeah. So they lost, what, what roles did Reuben and uh, Simeon lose? They lost, they were, yeah, yeah, leadership roles. They both lost leadership roles. And so what do you think a lingering question is from Exodus remains for Levi? He's the third born. So, right, right. So before Judah, sure. But the lingering question is, okay, Judah's definitely the leader, we know that. But what about Levi? Will, Le- will Levi get a leadership position? Will Le- Levi get a leadership role in the formation of Israel? Well, they're priesthood, so they do, yeah. have, a, they do have a leadership. Well, they have a role. But... Yeah, yeah, they have a leadership role. Priesthood, that's a, that's a leadership, considered a leadership role. And so... Right from the get-go, Moses is, is, is you know, you, you, you get the indication that what? The tribe of Levi is going to have a very significant role in the life of Israel. Um, and so, you know, remember the context, Israel is, is, is listening to Exodus on the plains of Moab for the very first time, about to enter the promised land. And by that time, what? The tribe of Levi has already been established as the religious and spiritual leaders of Israel. And so, because they're hearing this, uh, they're hearing Exodus for the first time, they see that Moses is the son of, of two Levites. So what do the original hearers already know about Moses? What do they already know from verse 1? Since they, already, since they already know that the tribe of Levi has a, 
is a, is a, is a leadership tribe, right? They're the religious and spiritual leaders of Israel, so they already know that Moses is going to be that kind of leader. They already know that. They already know that because he's from the house of Levi, he's, in a sense, pre-qualified, right? And don't you have pre-qualifications in, in, in the Bible? So what happens to David before he became king? Was he pre-qualified? By who? He was anointed by Samuel, right? Is Jesus pre-qualified in the Gospels? Yeah. We see what? A genealogy. We see him born in Nazareth, fulfilling prophecy. And so here, from verse 1, we know that um, he is from the proper tribe. Uh, he has a, he's going to have a particular calling. And he's going to be designated by God to be a religious and spiritual leader for the people of Israel. Uh, verse 1, we, we already know this, right? He's going to be a spiritual and religious leader for Israel. Now, uh, verse 2 um, it says that Moses' mother, verse 2, and the woman conceived and bore a son. Now, uh, stop right there and go to the end of chapter 2, verse 22. And now this is Moses' wife. Um, and she gives, look how it's, look how the wording of verse 22 What's, uh, explain the difference between the wording of verse 22 at the beginning and the wor wording of the beginning of verse 2. What's the difference? Right, so conceived and, can she, she conceived and bore a son and Moses' wife just gave birth to a son. Okay, that's no insignificant difference. That phrase, conceived and bore a son, it was used 15 times throughout Genesis to describe important births. Important births. And the 16th time describes his own birth. And after this, you don't find that exact expression anymore. And so what Moses is saying is that this is going to be the final figure, the final person from a line of people that God uses to preserve and prepare the formation of the nation Israel. In other words... This baby is going to be special. He is going to be a deliverer. Now, it gets more fascinating. Verse 3. Um, but she could not hide him any longer. So first three months, uh, uh, you know, the babies sleep a lot for the first three months. And you can keep them pretty quiet by feeding them. You know, you feed them, you feed them, you feed them, and they sleep. And so it's, it's relatively easy those first three months to keep a baby quiet. But now she she it's, she knows three months it's 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 a, it's getting harder, so she decides to give him up. And it says in verse three she took for him and what? What does it say in your Bibles? An ark. Some of your Bibles don't have that translation, which is un unfortunate. And the translators are probably thinking an ark. I mean, you know. Uh, that's kind of weird. We don't want to confuse the reader by putting an ark because where have you heard of an ark before? Noah, Noah right? So if they put ark, I mean, it's kind of strange. Did, did, did Moses' mother build this giant ship? No. It was a little basket, and so they, they translate it that way. But when they do translate, do translate, translate it that way, you miss an important theological connection. Um, that Hebrew word for ark is fine. 
is found 28 times in the Old Testament, 28 times, 26 out of the 28 times it's used of Noah's Ark, and the two other times in the Old Testament it's used, it's used in verse 3 and verse 5. So, what do you think Moses is trying to say by using the word ark for his birth? What is he trying to communicate? What kind of theological connection is he trying to make? Okay, explain, just expand on that a little bit more. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so just like God used Noah to deliver the human race, God is going to use this baby to deliver Israel. Right? And another interesting thing is, well, are you sure? Are you, are you sure he's, he means that? Well, she took from an ark of papyrus reeds, and that word reeds, have you ever read, um, as you're reading through the first five books of Moses, have you ever read uh, when, when Israel crosses through the Red Sea, have you ever read an alternate translation? Have you ever had a time where it was Red Sea, it was a little number, and it gave you an alternate translation, the, kind of the original. What did it say? Does anybody remember? The Reed Sea. Exactly, the Reed Sea. It's the same word. It's the same word. So, in verse 3, Moses is even telling you exactly how, uh, how he will deliver his people through the Reed Sea. It's all here. And we see the first kind of um, principle of corporate solidarity that what God will do for what, what God does for Moses here by rescuing him, he will also do for the people of Moses. God will deliver God delivers Moses in verse three, and he will deliver Moses' people. What happens to Moses will happen to Israel through Moses. And so you see this what beginning of corporate solidarity. What happens to the one happens to the all. Um, Moses is delivered uh, and Israel will be delivered because Israel and, and Moses are one people. They're one people in a sense. The leader and the people he leads are one people. Uh, Moses, Moses has his personal exodus right here and his personal exodus guarantees Israel's exodus. What happens to Moses will happen for Israel. Jesus' exodus in the resurrection guarantees what? Our exodus in our resurrection, what happened to happen for Jesus will happen to us, right? Why? Because we're in Christ. Christ is in us. Because we're one with him. Because of that corporate solidarity. And is Jesus a deliverer? Absolutely. He's the ultimate deliverer. And so we see this kind of first, this first kind of principle of corporate solidarity. What happens to the leader happens to the people. On a, on a more personal note, in verse 3 and 4, what, what, what's kinda, what's kinda, what, what kind of stands out on a personal note? Moses' mom needs to give up her son, right? She's going to lose her, th- her son, so she thinks. Verse 4, that phrase, stood at a distance, means um, it's used uh, often to refer to uh, when somebody's about to, something bad is going to happen, uh, they, they stand at a distance and watch. 
And so his sister, who, what's, his, what's Moses' Moses's sister's name? Miriam. Miriam. Miriam stands at a distance uh, uh, knowing her baby brother is going to die. So it's kind of sad at verse 4. Verse 5, uh, there's a turnabout in events. The daughter of, of Pharaoh, Hatshepsut. Uh, uh, oh, by the way, anybody read anything about some of the pharaohs I mentioned this week? Any study? Any Bible nerds? Okay. So Hatshepsut, uh, she was the daughter, was it Thutmose the first, I said? Yeah, Thutmose the first. Um, she comes down to bathe at the Nile. Um, all the baby boys are going in and she's going in. And with her young women walking along, along the Nile, she has maid servants, okay? And she saw the ark, again, the ark among the reeds, right? Reed Sea, another allusion to, uh, another allusion back to Noah and the ark, and a, an allusion forward to Moses delivering his people through the, Red, the Reed Sea. And she sends her maidservant to take the baby. And what does the maidservant do? She listens to the headship suit, right? She listens to the daughter of Pharaoh. And this, and, and this action of the, the maidservant reminds you of who? And, and how so? In, in what way does this main, maidservant remind you of somebody else? A couple of other people. Yeah, and why does this maidservant remind you of the two maidservants in chapter 1? What do they both have, what do they all have in common? More than that. More than that, well, okay, more than that. Uh, well, I don't know if the maidservant doesn't say the maidservant of Hatshepsut fears God doesn't give that reason. But what they all share in common is what? They don't listen to Pharaoh, right? We're not listening to you, Pharaoh. Nobody listens to Pharaoh. Pharaoh has no power. <laughs> Pharaoh has no authority. God is making that point. Pharaoh, nobody's going to listen to you. Nobody's going to you. You think you're God, man? Your daughter doesn't even listen to you. Your own daughter. Your, your, your maid servants don't even listen to you. Now, it's been said that God could have used Pharaoh's son to, be, to disobey his father. But why do you think God doesn't use Pharaoh's son to disobey his father? What, what? He's going to be the next Pharaoh. Uh, but, yeah, so what? So why can't he use Pharaoh's son to, 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 to disobey his father? Why and it kind of you know you're 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 a you're you're a movie director you know and you're or you're a writer of a script like why would let's say you were making this story why wouldn't you use the son of Pharaoh to fight Pharaoh and and, and use uh, Pharaoh's daughter to fight Pharaoh knowing what you know about kind of ancient Egyptian color and they don't usually have that power. right I mean, yeah. Right. 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 So they're seen as just kind of the weaker, kind of second class, right? Um, if it was Pharaoh's son, it would be too even of a match, right? 
And God wouldn't make the point that he's trying to make. He's saying, no, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use the humble to shame the powerful, right? Isn't that a kind of a common theme in scripture? I'm going to use the humble. To, I'm going to use this, the, the lowly uh, as so perceived, the lowly to humble the powerful. Um, and so this discovery, there's a, a, a surprising twist here. She, she's uh, Moses, baby Moses is discovered by an Egyptian, the very daughter of Pharaoh, uh, one who, who, who you would think of all people would obey her father, right? I mean, if you're, if you're watching the movie for the first time and, you know, Moses is kind of, baby Moses is floating down the Nile River um, and you're like hoping that somebody rescues uh, the little baby Moses, you know, and you see Pharaoh's daughter, your, your first reaction is, no, not her. But there's a surprising twist. Pharaoh's daughter, and, and if you're watching the movie, you're just like, your heart kind of suddenly stops. And what does Pharaoh's daughter do? Verse 6. She opens the ark, the basket. She sees the child. And behold, the boy was crying, and she had pity on him. <laughs> now that is a that is a that is a uh, 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 a narrative turner, right? That is a that is a twist, a surprising twist. And so, what you would think would lead to the boy's death leads to the the best kind of protection for a baby, right? Of all the people who would have the resources to protect Moses from dying it would be Pharaoh's daughter, right? I mean, uh, uh, this is deliverance. This is sudden, dramatic, powerful deliverance. Uh, this is uh, uh, awesome intervention. Uh, she realizes that baby Moses is a Hebrew child. And she, and Hatshepsut, intentionally disobeys her father. She feels pity. She loves the baby, you know? Can you imagine and when Moses gets older and Hatshepsut is telling the story of when she rescued him and saying, oh, you know how precious you were the first moment I saw you? Would have been a very touching, touching moment that uh, mom had with his son. And uh, it, this is kind of an irony, right? The people, you know, this, the irony would not be lost in the people who first heard the story. You know, uh, Pharaoh decrees all these newborn babies to be thrown in the Nile and we witnessed the baby being rescued from the river by Pharaoh's, undau- Pharaoh's own daughter. Um, now, verse 7, you know, Miriam, meanwhile, is watching from a distance. And instead of uh, seeing her baby brother perish, eaten by an alligator or some wild animal or drowning. Um, oh, by the way, uh, I forgot verse 3, tar and pitch. You also see those words in, in the building of the ark um, in Noah's account. So that's another... Kind of evidence that um, uh, Moses is referring back to that, back to, to Noah. Um, so Miriam says to Pharaoh's daughter, "Shall I go and call a nurse for you?" In other words, Hashaput, this child is yours. This child is yours. Uh, he's yours now. And and what does that tell us? What does that tell us? The fact that this baby baby Moses is Hashaput's that it's hers, it tells you what? He's going to be protected. He's going to be secure. He's, he's, Moses has been saved. 
He's been delivered. And if God's going to de uh, deliver Moses, he's going to deliver his people because of this corporate solidarity. Um, Miriam, in verse 7, introduces the idea, hey, uh, woman, do you want me to get a Hebrew woman to be the, the nurse, um, the wet nurse? And Pharaoh's daughter said, go, go for it. And so the, the, um, Miriam goes and call, uh, calls her mother, calls Moses' very own mother, and then uh, she's introduced to Pharaoh and then the, uh, Pharaoh's daughter, and then Hatshepsut says to her, take this child away and nurse him from me. That word take, that word take, uh, you saw that word in verse 3 of Moses' mother when she took for him an ark of papyrus. Same word. And now in this verse, verse 9, she gets, she, she gets back what she gave away. And furthermore, she gets what? In addition. She gets some money. That's, that's pretty nice. Um, so isn't God just pretty awesome here? Total reversal. Total reversal. She gets her son back. She gets money to raise him. Um, she gets kind of incredible protection. And uh, we see the deliverance of God. As God raises up, raises up this deliverer. Verse 10, uh, the child grows. He's weaned until maybe the age of three. Uh, and that's kind of the that was kind of the tradition back then. Like if you, uh, if, if you had a, a nursing, uh, a nursing uh, servant who would, the first three years, uh, they, would, they would nurse the child and the child would be then brought into the kind of the care of the adoptive or the, the mother. I'm sure after there were plenty of opportunities for Moses and Moses to see uh, his real mother. Um, it would, would not be odd for Moses to, you know, see his nanny, right, and to go back, and I'm sure Hatshepsut would have no problem with that. And what does Hatshepsut name Moses? What, what does she name the baby? She names, his Mo she names him Moses and said, uh, because I drew him out of the water. So, um, drawn, to be drawn out of the water is to be delivered out, uh, out of the water. And... The Hebrew name for Moses is, listen, listen carefully, Moshe, and the Hebrew verb for I drew is uh, Masha, Masha, right? So there's a word play. Because uh, I Masha'd him, I'm going to name him Moshe, right? And so Moses' name it rhymes with deliverance. It rhymes with deliverance. And just as he would, he he was delivered. He's going to deliver other. He's going to deliver others. There's this corporate solidarity. What happens to Moses will happen to his people. At this point in the story, an, an important question regarding Moses' identity arises. So now, um, what what is kind of the the, the 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 new the new tension? What is up in the air at this point? What are you kind of worried about? You're watching the movie of Moses. You're watching Ch little Charlton Heston, right? And, uh, <laughs> do you know Charlton Heston is? Okay, he, he, what, what, he's an old actor. Identity yeah, identity problem. Yeah. Whose son will he be? Will he become a Hebrew or an Egyptian? Will he be the grandson of Levi or the grandson of Pharaoh? 
He's been delivered by drown, he, he's been delivered from death by drowning in the Nile, but this deliverance places him in danger of him becoming an, an Egyptian. Now we move, move to point number two. Any questions on the first ten verses, by the way? Yeah. Yeah. So Pharaoh's daughter knows Hebrew? Or enough to like name him Moses? Um, she named him Moses. I think so. I, I think so. Because um, I thought like Hebrews were like considered to be lowly. And I, I guess maybe in some way like she took the time to learn Hebrew or, or um, it, it, it could, it could be that it could be time. She, she took some uh, time to learn Hebrew. I mean, when you're, when your workforce is, when your major workforce is kind of, uh, speaks Hebrew would be like today, somebody maybe learning Spanish, you know? Um, so I think that's a real possibility. She just learned Hebrew. It seems like, I mean, it seems like that's the obvious answer, right? That she knew Hebrew because, or it could be. Moshe, Moshe is a, an Egyptian name, and um, the Egyptian word for I drew him, my, uh, it, was, it was close enough to the Hebrew word Moshe. It was close enough to, for, her, for Moses to re, uh, record that she said this. Mm-hmm. So maybe the word sounded the same. Um, so, I mean, commentators uh, think that, yeah, kind of t- take the second opinion that Moses is an Egyptian name and, and, uh, you know, the Mashe is, is kind of a authorial kind of, you know, just putting kind of a Hebrew spin on it. But I, I, I to me, I, I just think she knew some Hebrew. Oh, so like, I'm looking at, so there's names like Patmos. Yeah. Most to say like the god thought is born, and so they're right. saying at some point the god's name was the deity's name was dropped, but kept mo- like the most the um, the most part. Yeah, commentators think Moses is an Egyptian, uh, is Egyptian name, and the that drew him that uh, that uh, somehow she made a connection with. Deliverance, either through Egypt, you know, through Egyptian uh, similarity of the language, or an, an authorial kind of edit. I think that's the that doesn't sound right to me. Um, in my opinion, I, I just think it's I think think it's uh, uh, even though yeah, Moshe sounds similar to an Egyptian name to live. I think mm-hmm. the word uh, I do think it's just it's uh, it's Hebrew. Okay. So that's my opinion. And that's the like the straight the straightforward interpretation of the verse. So, uh, any other questions? Good question. Good question. All right. Well, we move to uh, point number two: the formation of a deliverer. Uh, a formation of a deliverer, and we see uh, the story. Jumping ahead almost 36 years, going from uh, skipping over Moses' childhood, adolescence, early childhood. We go from Moses' childhood to that of his first child. Uh, We go from Moses living as a foreigner in an urban Egyptian royal household to living as a foreigner in a rural Midianite priestly household. He goes from the privilege of a, 
of a prince of the greatest nation of, his wor- of the world to the obscurity of a criminal exile in the Sinai wilderness. And so verse 11, he's, uh, he's grown up and he's Mr. Big Shot. He's Egyptian prince, the son of, uh, of, of really Pharaoh at this time because uh, Hatshepsut took over. She became the queen of Egypt. And so he went out to his brothers and he looked at on their hard labors and and he saw an Egyptian striking a Hebrew, one of his brothers. And what does that last uh, that last part of the verse eleven say about Moses? He saw a Hebrew, one of his brothers. What is it? What does it say about Moses? He, he identifies. He identifies with the Hebrews. But look at verse 12. So he turned this way and that, and he saw that there was no one around. What does that say about Moses? <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But why would he fear Pharaoh? Why would he care if he was fully identified as a Hebrew, and he, and he believed what, that he was doing what was, what was right. It shows he's still kind of struggling, right? He, 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 on one hand, he's identifying with the Hebrews, but on the other hand, he's still, he's still kind of ashamed. He's still uh, uh, ashamed of his, 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 uh, his origins. He doesn't have full solidarity with his people. There is some degree of disassociation with Israel. He's not ready to fully sacrifice his position and his privilege for them. Because if he's fully, kind of fully Hebrew, if he's fully identified, uh, he, there, there wouldn't be that phrase in verse 12. He would just say, well, he, that's it. I'm going to leave my people. Forget you. I'm not afraid. No, it doesn't say that. He's doing this secretly because he's still kind of in the middle He's still not fully, he's not still not a, a, he still hasn't fully identified with his people. He still don't have full corporate solidarity. And um, you know what? Verses 13, 14, the, the feeling is mutual. The next day, two Hebrews are fighting and he says to the wicked one, why are you striking your, your companion? And he said, who made you a ruler or a judge over us? Are you intending to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? And Moses was afraid and said, surely the matter has become known. So Stephen, he picks up on this and he says, remember, remember when, when Moses, your leader, tried to be the ruler over you? Um, look at verse 13. Moses says to who? The wicked one, the wicked one. And the, and the wicked one is the one who responds in 14 the way he does. Who made you the ruler over us, right? So we're getting some... Uh, some foreshadowing of what Israel is going to be like. The, the midwives in chapter 1 don't typify all of Israel. And so there is this foreshadowing of, what does Stephen say? This foreshadowing of what? Thousands of years of rebellion. That, 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 that the Jews, they don't, they don't listen to their leaders that God sends to them. They don't listen to their leaders that God sends to them. They don't listen to the prophets. They don't listen to godly kings. They don't listen to the Lord Jesus Christ. Stephen says, you don't listen to the apostles. And it, <laughs> and it all starts right here. 
this wicked, this wicked Hebrew, kind of typifying much of Israel's um, relationship with God in the old, old, old and New Testament. Now, it says that he flees, but we have a problem. Does anybody know the problem we have? Look at verse 15. Pharaoh heard of this matter, so he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from the presence of Pharaoh and settled in the land of Midian and sat down by a well. We got a problem in verse 15. What's our problem? So in verse 15, Moses seems what? He seems what? He seems afraid, doesn't he? Go to Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11. What does uh, verse 27 say, Hebrews 11? Somebody read it out loud. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as being him who is conceived. Okay, so what's the problem? And how do we resolve it? I think verse 27 might not be referring to this instance when he left. Like maybe it was after, you know, God gave him the, the mission, the staff told him what he was going to do. And at the end, um, him and the Israelites left Egypt. Um, and even though Pharaoh pursued him with um, their army, he, just, he still left anyway uh, in faith. And God parted the seas. And so I think verse 27 might be referring to that. Well, read verse 28 and 29. Why is that kind of somewhat of a problem? By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood, so that he who destroyed the firstborn would not touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as though they were passing through dry land. Then read then verse 23 through 26. I mean, you just read it, you know, silently, you don't read it out loud, but okay. well, what do you see is the problem? What, is, what, what, what do you see in verses 23 through 29? What, you see a what? Chronological. A, a chronological order. So it seems unlikely mm-hmm. that that's referring to uh, Moses leaving Egypt at the end. Okay. It seems like it's, it's, he's leave, leaving Egypt uh, at the beginning. Especially if you look at 24 through 26, it seems it's like right after that. So how do we resolve the problem? Can you be afraid of somebody and also fear God at the same time? Right? And can you fear God more than you fear the other person at the same time? Yeah. So you can do both, right? You can do both. So, yes, on one hand, he feared uh, Pharaoh's wrath and the consequences of that. You know, it's his his stepbrother, a rival, and but if he if he didn't uh, have faith in God, if he if he didn't identify with Israel, he probably wouldn't have left, right? He probably would have stayed and fought it out. Like I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna um, I'm gonna try to take the throne. So yes, he's afraid of Pharaoh, and that kind of 
kind of his first reaction is, uh, I need to leave, but there's also the option of staying and fighting, right? You have two options. But then the writer of Hebrews says, he eventually, he, he, he ultimately chose to leave because he was making a clean break from, he was leaving his past, he was leaving that privilege, he was re- leaving royalty, um, he was going to start over. So I think that's the best, the best answer. That's the best answer. Uh, verse 16. So Pharaoh heard of the matter. Uh, verse 16. Now a priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to give water to their father's flock to drink. Uh, for, end of verse 15, it says that uh, Moses fled. He settled in the land of Midian. He sat down by a well. When was uh, when, 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 when did you hear of a well before this? Okay, yeah, 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 sure. But in terms of, uh, I, I mean, major kind of figures of the Old Testament. Yeah, for uh, Isaac and who else? Jacob. Okay. So in those two situations, and, and in this situation, what happens at a well? What usually happens at a well? You get married at a well. <laughs> and of course, Moses gets married at a well. But it, it, it goes to show you, they're, they're making this connection, this well motif of that Moses is, 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 you know, just like God was working on Isaac, right? Wasn't God working on Isaac and, and maturing him and sanctifying him? Wasn't God sanctifying Jacob and working on Jacob as well, right? In the same way, uh, God, this, this well incident is showing that, that God is still working on Moses. He's still maturing him and sanctifying him, getting ready to, for him to fulfill his role, just like Isaac had a role, just like, like Jacob had a role. Um, now, who else in the New Testament meets somebody at a, at a well? Jesus. Jesus, but what's the difference there? He doesn't what? He doesn't marry the girl. And, and that's, 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 that's important, right? Because the differences of all these, those well scenes marks out the significance. It shows that Jesus is the ultimate deliverer. He doesn't marry the woman at the well. He delivers her from sin, right? That, that big difference shows that Jesus is, is really different. Jesus is like Isaac, Jacob, and Moses, but he's also very different. He's unlike them. And we know that because he doesn't marry this woman. He saves her from her sin. Um, And and we see a big difference between uh, Moses and uh, Jacob and Isaac because what does Moses do that Jacob nor um, uh, Isaac's servant did? What does he do in these next few verses that they didn't do? So remember what, what did Jacob do? What did Jacob do when he met uh, his uh, future wife? He watered all her, didn't he water all her, her, her horses? Yeah. What does Moses do? He, he, what does he do? Okay, okay. But he does something that, they, they, that they, verse 17, what does he do that they, that they, didn't, they didn't do? Yeah, Moses, Moses saved them. He saved them. Why did he save them? Because 
Because he's a deliverer. Moses is a deliverer in a way that Jacob and Isaac weren't. And so these shepherds were bullying um, the priests of Midian, seven daughters, and Moses delivers them, gives the water to their flock to drink. Um, whenever a priest of Midian, uh, whenever a priest arrives at a scene, um, it shows that, that uh, there's going to be some learning, some discipleship that takes place. Remember, Abraham meets Melchizedek, the uh, priest, and uh, Abraham learns learned some lessons, and it shows that, that Moses is going to learn some lessons here. God is refining Moses as Israel is delivered. Verse 18, um, they came to rule their father, and he said, why have you come back so soon today? So it seems like uh, in the past, his daughters have been regularly harassed by the male shepherds. This time it's a difference because Mo Moses saved the day. Verse 19, I, I love this. What, is, uh, what do they say to their father? An Egyptian what? Delivered us. He delivered us from the hand of the shepherds. And he actually even drew the water for us and gave the water to the flock to drink. Okay, so that word delivered is the same word saved in verse 17. Verse 17, Moses rose up to, to deliver them. Uh, so it's a repeat of the word. I wish they would have kept that uh, translated the same way. Um, but what's kind, of, what's kind of interesting in verse 19? What kind of stands out? Something strange. Or something significant. Okay, okay, yeah. They think he's an Egyptian. He's a real elite. Yeah. They, they, they think he's an Egyptian. An Egyptian delivered us. Like, in their eyes, Moses is an Egyptian. And so this tells us what? This needs to change. This needs to change. Moses needs to become one of his people. See, corporate solidarity demands that the deliverer identify with the people he... He's delivering. If Jesus is going to save us, he needs to what? He needs to become a man. He needs to take on human form. He needs to take on human nature. Yes? So why, why, do they, why would they think he's an Egyptian? Do they like dress like Egyptian? Because he grew up in the palace? Like, he didn't look like... Yeah, so he was probably clean-shaven. Oh. Probably clean-shaven. And I think the Midianites were kind of Semitic. So they were kind of hairy. So he's a clean-shaven guy. And uh, you've seen Ten Commandments, right, Charlton Heston? Ewell Brenner? He's all shaven, clean-shaven? Oh, yeah. So that would have been a dead giveaway. Uh, he's clean-shaven. And, and, and that was probably kind of the Egyptian kind of mark of identifying marker. Like all Egyptians are clean-shaven. Mm -hmm. Maybe his clothes, maybe his dress, maybe the, maybe the way he spoke, the, the dialect... He, he might have had a, probably had an Egyptian dialect, even if he spoke the language that the Midianites spoke, right? You can just kind of tell, oh, you're from, you know, if somebody comes here and, you know, somebody Korean, somebody from Korea, like, talks English, I know it immediately if he's from China or Korea, right? Because their accent gives it away. I go, oh, you're from Korea, right? How do I know that? Because the way somebody from China speaks English who just comes here and somebody from Korea who just comes here who speaks English, it's totally different. Totally different. So it could have been that, the dialect. So all those factors combined. And uh, if that's the case, what? Moses is living like an Egyptian, right? He's kind of, he still has uh, Egyptian uh, 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 ways of living. 
you know, still dressing like an Egyptian instead of a Hebrew. So, anyways, um, the father tells the daughters, come on in, invite them over, let's eat. Uh, Moses apparently is attracted to the one of the daughters, and so uh, the, the, the priest gives Zipporah to Moses, and, and then she gave birth to a son, and notice the difference, so Gershon's not going to be very special, he's going to be just a normal guy, um, and Gershom is related to this, this statement, I think Gershom means like sojourner, and, and because Moses said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. So what does this kind of show about, about Moses now? What does this show? How, is, how do we know that Moses is changing and growing? He doesn't feel tied to Egypt anymore. He feels like a yeah. passerby. Yeah, he's like, I'm a sojourner now. I'm not, a, I'm not an Egyptian in a foreign land. I'm no longer an Egyptian. I'm a sojourner. Not a Hebrew yet, yeah. But very close. Very close. Because as we move to uh, chapter 3, it shows he's, he's getting really close. Now, the last three verses, God knows his people. Um, Moses is in the wilderness for 40 years. And that means what? Israel is, continues to suffer for 40 years under Egyptian oppression. They, they're languishing under Egyptian um, a rule and of uh, this harsh, harsh authority. It, uh, Moses describes it in verse 23. Uh, the, the sons of Israel sighed because of the slavery. And they cried out. Uh, their cry and their cry for help because of their slavery rose up to God. Uh, this, is pretty, we, this is pretty important. In the Hebrew, uh, it's not clear they're, they're crying out to God uh, in prayer, in the Hebrew, it's not clear. the The cry for the for help is not really there in the Hebrew. the The translators just add that because they're just trying to make sense. Because because cried out and cry there are right back to back, and so they just kind of they're just assuming that 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 the Hebrews cry out for help to God. But it's very general. It's very vague. It's simply they're they're suffering. Uh, they're 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 not really praying to God. There's no evidence that they're that they're praying to God. And you know what? God hears their groaning anyways. He hears the cry of their of the people nonetheless. And verse twenty four and twenty five it's it's a pretty powerful, especially if you read it in the Hebrew, because you you'll see four times what Elohim 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 Elohim. God is the hero of this story. And so what does God do, irrespective of Israel? Not because they're asking him. No, God, in his sovereign grace, intervenes. He steps in, uninitiated, to save his people. And he does four things. What does he do? God heard. God remembered. God saw. God knew. God heard means uh, he really cared. He didn't ignore their cries. He heard their groaning. He hears everything. So it doesn't mean he just heard it like you, you and I hear something. No, he, he, he cared when he heard. Uh, God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Does this mean that God 
Did this mean that God forgot and now he remembered? No. What does it mean then? When, when, when it says that God remembered. What do you do when you try to remember something? When you try to remember something. So, you know, I, I told you about that the big day at uh, Mega Christian School Chapel. What did, I, what did I do? As I was trying to remember, look at the, I would look at my schedule, make sure I got the right date. I would look at the time. I would do it multiple times. Go back to the original email. <laughs> you know, what? Uh, like maybe 10 times. I'm just going back. Like, do I got this right? Okay, it's November 2nd. I got November 2nd. Okay. What? I'm, I'm concentrating, right? When you remember, when you try to remember something, you ever take a test? You're trying to remember the facts? What do you do? You concentrate. And so this is saying that God, full concentration, full concentration on the covenant he made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's not responding because they prayed to him or they cried out to him. The text doesn't, isn't really clear that, that they did that. No, God um, hear, uh, hears them because he remembered his promise, because he was concentrating on his people. The next, verse 25, and God saw the sons of Israel. What is, does that mean that God just kind of saw or noticed them? No, what does that mean? In what way? Yeah, an affectionately, a focused way. He really saw them. When you, when you're concentrating on a person, what do you do? You really you stare at them, right? You focus on them. You concentrate on them. You think about them. And so, uh, he cared specifically in a particular way. And last but not least, and God knew them. What does that mean? He didn't know them before? He knows who they are? What does that mean? Where, is he, where, where, did, we, uh, where did we first see that? Adam and Eve? Yeah. They did what? Yeah, they, they what? They knew, each they knew each other. They knew each other. What does that mean? They, they really, really knew each other. They, um, there was this God... In full covenant knowledge, he, he, this exclusive covenant relationship, like a marriage. And so if your spouse is in trouble and you're married to that spouse, what is your response going to be? Determined, right? Because it's your wife, it's your husband, and they're in trouble. So God's response is going to be just all out, all out fight with determination because God knew Israel. And this is also um, a picture of the end. This is the outcome. In the end, there will be a marriage. And until we get to that end, God is going to fight with determination to accomplish that end, right? So we already know the end of the story, don't we? In chapter two, God knew them. God knew them. Um, he's going to win. He's going to win. <laughs> we, we know how the battle between God and Pharaoh is going to end up. God's going to win because he knew. He knew Israel.